If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, rushing! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Jose Altuve, not once, not twice, but thrice. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball today on Wednesday, September 6th. I am Frank Stample, joined by Scott White. Today on the show, felt like we had a bunch of home runs hit on Tuesday night. We'll talk about Altuve, a bunch of other teams. I think there was three or four different teams that hit at least four home runs in a game on Tuesday. Jose Quintana continues to pitch well for the Mets. Pitchers to drop, and way too early, 2024, fill in the blank. Should have some fun with that. Before we get started, help us out by liking this video and subscribing on YouTube if you haven't already. And if you're listening on the audio side, download, follow, and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify Specifically, if we've helped you make it to the playoffs or your championship, whatever it might be over the next couple of weeks as the season kind of winds up, uh, if you can give us a five-star review and let us know how much we helped you, we do appreciate it. Scott, let's jump in. Take a little whiff of that, big boy. Yeah, big boy. Who is that? (laughs) That is the uh, Cardinals radio broadcaster. He actually passed away this year and someone sent that in. Mm. Um, And it was great. Take a whiff of that, big boy. Big boy. Yeah. I like that. So, uh, Jose Altuve would be a good call, but I am going to go with Jordan Walker. Take a whiff of that, big boy. He's a Cardinal himself. Three for four with his 15th home run, his 16th double, his fourth home run in five games and he's gone 12 for 19 during that five game stretch so he is catching fire here at just the right time you know you 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 stuck with jordan walker after he was hyped in the preseason sent down 
His, his roster rate remained high even when he was down in the minors. You're, you're getting your rewards now at the perfect time. And digging a little deeper on Jordan Walker here. So his average exit velocity this season is 90.7 miles per hour, 72nd percentile. His max exit velocity is 92nd percentile. So the exit velocities are certainly there for Jordan Walker. Walker, He's struck out at less than a 23% rate. So that hasn't been his problem either. The problem, as we've pointed out before, is that he's put the ball on the ground way too often. So all that hard contact is being wasted on the earth instead of cutting through the air like butter. Well, here in the second half, Jordan Walker's ground ball rate is down to 41%. It was 56% in the first half. It is 41% in the second half. So the fly ball rate has gone from 29% to 40%. That's a big change for a player who it doesn't, you know, obviously he's still a rookie. So we, we don't know what sort of normal Jordan Walker is going to settle into in terms of, of launch angle and uh, batted ball distribution. And it's an encouraging trend, though. And, and obviously, we're seeing the impact it's having on his numbers. So, uh, you know, on the one hand, I would like to see it continue to see Jordan Walker you know, put up huge numbers in September and uh, be targeted high in drafts next year. But it does obviously compromise his discount next year that I was hoping to enjoy because I never lost faith in the profile. Yeah, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's been a tremendous season for Jordan Walker, but at the end of the day, he's batting 279 with an 813 OPS. That's pretty impressive for a rookie. So he's got 15 home runs, he's got six steals. I think the way that the Cardinals handled him overall, you know, the first month of the season, sending him down, it, it didn't really make much sense to me, or I think really any of us at the time. So it's kind of been a, I guess, tumultuous rookie season here for Jordan Walker. He's still 86% rostered, so it seems like most people kind of kept the faith on him. And good thing he did, because as Scott mentioned, red hot right now, Jordan Walker has homered in four of his last five games, multiple hits in five of his last seven. Let's stick with those Cardinals here, and just wanted to mention, uh, again, all these home runs hit on Tuesday night. Nolan Gorman, two for five with a double dong for him, uh, and in... His previous eight games since returning from the IL, he was just two for 25. It's definitely been an up and down year, Scott. You know, got off to that great start. I think it was a really brutal June, bounced back in July, got hurt in August. Uh, Nolan Gorman, the final line here, 233 batting average, 26 homers, 795 OPS. Where he was being drafted, it absolutely has been a great season for Nolan Gorman, uh, but still 80% rostered. I don't think there's anything too much actionable here uh, but any thoughts on Nolan Gorman's bounce back or I guess surprising second season I, I mean it's it's not surprising to me at all this is kind of what I expected to happen when he you know obviously I was very excited when he got off to a hot start and maybe uh, I think I moved him up to like seventh in my second base rest of season rankings maybe got a, a little too aggressive with that, but then when he did have that very rough middle portion of the season, I figured, eh, he'll get hot again. And it's, yeah, I was reluctant to write him off the way maybe some people wanted me to. And I think this is just going to be the profile for Nolan Gorman. He's going to be insanely streaky. He's a guy who strikes out a lot, and, and, and specifically his zone contact rate is below 80%. And you can succeed with that. 
This is a number I've paid extra close attention to this year's zone contact rate. You can succeed with a zone contact rate below 80%, but it's among the worst in baseball. And, and those types of players, to succeed with that, first of all, you have to have really good power, which Gorman certainly does. But they tend to be really streaky, those kinds of players who swing and miss, who swing and miss a lot on pitches in the zone. And so I, I think that's I, I think we just have to recognize that comes with the territory for Gorman and treat him appropriately next season. Obviously, you're enjoying his production right now and probably not thinking too hard about whether to start him or not. But next year, you know, if he gets off to an especially cold start or if he gets off to an especially hot start, don't take that as the new normal for Nolan Gorman because the flip side is probably right around the corner. All right. Oh, my goodness gracious for me from uh, Tuesday. Jose Quintana continues his great run. He was at the Nationals where he allowed just one run over seven innings, four strikeouts to one walk, and really leaned into that curveball in this start through 32% of the time. It was his most used pitch. And uh, entering this start, he was only throwing it about 21%. So, again, he really leaned into it, and it's been a good pitch for him this year. It was a good pitch for him last year as well. So, Nice to see that out of Jose Quintana. He's gone six-plus innings in seven of nine starts so far with the Mets. And here we are, a 3.0 ERA, a 1-2-6 whip. He's been rock solid, 45% rostered. Kind of feels like he should be in that Kyle Hendricks kind of range, Scott, of, I guess, roster rate and expectation moving forward. Your thoughts on uh, Jose Quintana, another great start. Yeah, I think he's a quality star machine. And he was among my top sleeper pitchers this week. Even when it looked like he was scheduled for one start on Sunday when I did the update, I saw he was, it, it was changed so that he was in line for two starts. And I think I moved him up to second in my sleeper pitcher rankings at that point. And uh, he continues to be a quality start machine now. Eight of nine, right? Eight of his last nine are quality starts. I have six seven plus. Seven of eight. Yeah, seven of nine. I have six plus innings. Yeah, seven of nine total, seven of his last eight. Um, quality stars for Quintana. And as I, I think I've said this the last couple times, pointed this out. You look at that, that rough stretch of his career, which really preceded last year. Remember he started out with the white Sox. He was this surprise breakthrough number three type starter, despite having not much of a prospect pedigree. And then he kind of fell off for a few years there. And it, it coincided with the, the um, juice ball era, basically his home run rate spiked during that stretch of bad years. It dropped down again last year, and I believe it's even lower this year. So his home run rate is more in line with those White Sox years when Quintana was basically a must-star fantasy option. And so I think we're seeing the same consistency from him now. I'm not sure he's changed. I just think the environment's changed in a way that suits him. Jose Quintana has allowed a total of... One home run through nine starts with the Mets this year, so uh, has done a good job of limiting that, as you mentioned. He's 45% rostered. He's widely available. Let's find out if you would drop any of these pitchers for Jose Quintana. Dylan Cease, another (laughs) clunker at the Royals. Five and a third innings, five runs, four earned, three more home runs allowed, 12 hard hits against the Royals in this one. And over Dylan Cease's last four starts, he has a 9.30 ERA, a 2.07 whip. Two of those starts came against the A's and the Royals. There's just no way you could trust him right now. Still 93% rostered. The dropometer on Dylan Cease. 
I mean, considering it's September, I'm going to say six. Would you go higher? That sounds about right. It's pretty high. And that means I wouldn't have too much hesitation to drop him. I only have him in one league, and it's a 10-team league, and I haven't thought that hard about dropping him. I think, I think my... I think more so than me anticipating using Dylan Cease again this season is I'd hate for him to be used against me. You know, he'll, he'll have, I'd hate for him to turn around and have like an 11 strikeout start and somebody picks him up and then they have Dylan Cease and I was the dope who gave him up. So I just kind of want to keep him safely tucked away so he can't hurt me in any context. Uh, and looking at the White Sox schedule, rest of season. So this was against Kansas City, right? Yep. Do I have that right? Okay. So they're, they they have one of the most pitcher-friendly schedules moving forward. Their next series are against Detroit, Kansas City, Minnesota, Washington. Um, and then it gets a little harder after that, the last three series of the year. But you could see Dylan C's having a start where it all turns around, given those matchups especially. And so I probably would hold on to him, but yeah, I have no trust in him at this point in terms of actually getting him in my lineup. I thought about it the other way, where you drop him so that someone else does pick him up, does start him, and then they get eight earned runs in their lineup. Instead I mean, that is a more confident approach. I guess I'm just not that confident of a player. <laughs> right. Uh, would you drop Dylan Cease for Jose Quintana? I realize they're polar opposite pitchers in terms of how they get it done, but would you make that swap? So actually, the Mets don't have the greatest matchups moving forward. It looks like next week, Quintana... So he'll face the Diamondbacks later this week. Next week, he'll get the Reds. And then the following week, it might be the Phillies. It might be the Marlins, which would be better. But their matchups actually aren't great moving forward. The way the kind of run he's been on, maybe we shouldn't pay a lot of deference to that. But um, I don't... I don't think I would. I'm I'm not as afraid of an opponent using Quintana to burn me as much as I am an opponent using Cease to burn me. So, you know, you're getting the two-star week out of the way with Quintana now, a one-star week with not such a great matchup next week. I'm not saying you can't use him, but I probably have better options unless it's a, the sort of deep league where it wouldn't even be a question anyway. All right, let's talk about Michael Lorenzen, who has been pretty bad since throwing that no-hitter. He was at the Padres. He allowed six earned runs over six innings in this one, eight hard hits allowed, and four starts since that no-hitter. An 814 ERA, a 195 whip, nine walks to just 11 strikeouts over 21 innings. He's still 80% rostered. Scott, Michael Lorenzen, where is he on the drop meter I would put him eight. Never had a lot of confidence in, in him in the first place. It was more just ride him while he's hot situation. He's clearly not hot now. I'm trying to confirm something one of the commenters was saying about Lucchese coming up to make a start this weekend that might push Quintana into being a two-star pitcher next week. I mean, obviously all pitching alignments are subject to change always, but especially this time of year. Uh Called at some point. Our last update says he'll be uh, Luke Casey will be recalled at some point in September and join the rotation. I don't know exactly. I don't know exactly when, but if if you did pick up Quintana for two starts this week, that might be reason to hold on because they push him back one day, and that two start week becomes next week. 
Mm-hmm. All right. Would you drop? Uh, would you drop Michael Lorenzen for Jose Quintana? Yeah. Okay. And Either way. The last name. One start or two. The last name here. I feel pretty confident in this one. Uh, Dane Dunning came on in relief of Nathan Avaldi, and he got crushed. Five and a third innings, eleven hits. Nine earned runs, three homers allowed, and in the second half, Dane Dunning has a 567 ERA, a 1.50 WHIP, still 84% rostered. Dropo meter, Dane Dunning. Ten. Ten. All right. So uh, you can go ahead and drop him for Jose Quintana if you are looking to make that swap. Let's talk about. Well, Jose- let's go nine. Let's go nine. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Let's go. Uh, let's talk about Jose Altuve, who had a triple dong here on Tuesday night, and he hit all three of those home runs in the first three innings of the game. So one in the first, one in the second, one in the third. I think I saw he was the fourth player in Major League history to pull that off, so pretty awesome stuff here for uh, Altuve. He's played 68 games this season. He's hitting 321, 15 homers, 13 steals, a 969 OPS, and this is part of my... Fill in the blank. Way too early fill in the blank, Scott. I realize it's September 6th. I'm not going to hold you to this for next year, but let's have a little fun. Jose Altuve should be drafted in the top blank rounds next season. All right. Jose Buto is coming up for the Mets to start tomorrow. So that will make Quintana a two-star pitcher next week and not this week. Okay, sorry. I wasn't listening to your question because I was still trying to get to the bottom of that very important Jose Quintana information. Okay, so what was it? So, uh, Jose Altuve, just talking about him, the uh, triple dong here on Tuesday and uh, had a fill-in-the-blank way too early for next season. It's September 6th. I'm not going to hold you to this religiously, obviously. Uh, But the the fill-in-the-blank is Jose Altuve should be drafted in the top blank rounds next year. I, conf- I can confidently say three, which is what it also was coming into this year before he got hurt. And obviously he hasn't done anything to undermine our affection for him then. So yeah, I'll say three. Will he be, where will he rank among second basemen? Well, he'll rank behind Mookie Betts, but maybe only behind Mookie Betts. I, I think that sounds about right too. Altuve has done everything you could possibly ask for when healthy this year. And frankly, it makes me a little bit upset because we were very excited to draft Jose Altuve this season uh, before he got hurt in the WBC. And it just feels like he could have had a a truly monster season, something like a 25-25 or a 30-30 type season if he uh, never got hurt this year. Brandon Woodruff put together another great start at the Pirates. Seven shutout innings. Six strikeouts in this one. He has gone six-plus innings in four of his last five starts, and he's got a 230 ERA, a .79 whip. I think a lot of what you could say about Jose Altuve, you could say for Brandon Woodruff, right? What if he didn't get hurt? Yeah, he's kind of you know dealt with injuries uh, a lot of seasons so far in his career, but when he's pitched, man, the guy has still looked like an elite pitcher. So uh, for next season, Brandon Woodruff should be drafted as a top-blank starting pitcher in fantasy. I'm going to say 10. I'm not even going to, you know, kind of kind of hedge my bet and say 12. I'm going to go 10. I like it, man. Yeah, I, the way he's pitched, the swinging strike rate still looks tremendous. He throws hard. It's just, I guess it's a little scary because he's dealt with some shoulder stuff and, you know, that's what kept him out this year. So I guess you, you kind of have to worry about that and, and bake it in a little bit for next season. But 
I don't know. Show me a pitcher that is completely bulletproof heading into next season. And uh, I'll tell you, there's probably not too many. Let's talk about Fernando Tatis, who went one for two with two walks and his 23rd home run. He also has 25 steals. He's betting 265. It's kind of been a weird year. He's got a 798 OPS. It feels like he's been underwhelming, but still has all this power and speed. Uh, the strikeout rate is down quite a bit this year, 21%. Still hitting the ball hard, but not as hard as he has in years past. Expected numbers still look awesome for Fernando Tatis. Some people have tweeted in, sent some emails, Scott saying, eh, should Fernando Tatis really be considered a you know a top pick for next season? And that's where we come in. Fill in mm-hmm. the blank. Fernando Tatis should be drafted as a top blank pick for next year. So this is the hardest one you brought up because I've been asking this a lot just as I update my rest of season rankings, which are to some degree a preview for next year, right? At least at the very top. And uh, I mean, I've obviously moved him behind Mookie Betts. So, uh, and then you get into like Kyle Tucker, who's obviously had an awesome season after a slow start uh, and, and gives you that power speed element in better measure than Tatis has this year, but is it the same upside? Does Tatis still have more upside now that, you know, following all those surgeries he had, following the PED suspension, and who knows what Im- impact that had early in his career? You're asking me a top what pick next year overall? Yeah, so you're asking me? top five pick, top ten pick. I mean, when we when we last did a redraft mid-season I it was he was second right I think we all had him second behind uh Ronald Acuna I'm gonna say top six I, I you know do I put him ahead of Freddie Freeman do I put him ahead of Aaron Judge and Jordan Alvarez do I put him ahead of Bobby Witt I think I put him ahead of Jose Ramirez, who would be the second third baseman, but do I put him ahead of Witt? Mm, don't know about that. Don't know about that. That's yeah. I'll say six right now, but that is not with a lot of certainty. Um, you know, I may look closer at it, and I still have him third or fourth overall, but if, if he was outside the top ten, it wouldn't surprise me either. So I have seven names written down, so I'm going to say at least a top eight player, but I think you're right. I think that that range, once you get into like Freeman and Judge and Alvarez, it's pretty interesting. So I wrote down Acuna, Julio Rodriguez, Mookie Betts, Kyle Tucker, Bobby Witt, Freddie Freeman, and Spencer Strider. I think somebody can talk themselves into taking Spencer Strider as a top eight pick next year. So yeah, I, I think that's where I'm at right now with Tatis, but we still have a month left and you know, we'll see how he uh, finishes things out. Which, by the way, if, if if he's that low in round one, you know, I think Corey Seager deserves to be a round one pick. Uh, I, I think there's a few that you didn't even include on your list there. It, it might not be so bad to pick late in round one last year. I don't think it was a very good year to this year. But next year, if we're going to have like Jose Ramirez, Corey Seager, maybe even Fernando Tatis back there, that might be better than... Uh, than having a really high pick, yeah. given the quality of the second pick that you'll have. Right. I didn't. I didn't even mention Corbin Carroll. I have yeah. some yeah. slight concerns with the shoulder, and 
again, there's Judge and Alvarez, and yeah, there's it's going to be pretty plentiful, I think, the first two rounds of uh, hitters, at least for next season in drafts. Let's take our first break. When we return, we will talk about some, I uh, got some waiver wire hitters, some other big uh, home run performances. We'll do that right after this. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together. And nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Welcome back into Fantasy Baseball Today. Quick reminder to download and follow our five-minute podcast, Fantasy Baseball Today in Five. I realize as the season kind of dwindles down here, you might not have as much time to dedicate. We hope you stick around with us, obviously. But we know football is starting up and all that kind of fun stuff. So uh, if you just need a, a quick quick fix for Fantasy Baseball, FBT in Five, you can download and follow wherever you listen to this podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, scan that QR code that will take you right to the FBT and five podcast feed. Let's talk waiver wire hitters. MJ Melendez, two for three with two walks and his 14th home run, having a pretty big second half, batting 298, eight home runs, two steals, 94.4 average exit velocity, 13% barrel rate. And entering Tuesday, he was second among catcher eligible players in plate appearances this season because he plays in the outfield. So uh, he plays a lot. He's hitting really well right now. He's 65% rostered. The problem is there's been a lot of really good catcher options recently, Scott. So I think Mitch Garver is still kind of like head and shoulders above right now. And then again, we get into Cabert Ruiz, Cal Raleigh, Yiner Diaz. Are you taking MJ Melendez over any of those names? So I have noticed Yiner Diaz playing time has fallen off a little, which we were concerned about. Has Cal Raleigh slowed down? He's so streaky. I feel right. like you just kind of got to ride the waves with him, man. Yeah. But he has not homered so, since August 26th. Yeah, it's been like a week. I'd probably take Melendez over him, but it's it's close. Uh, you know, what I was just saying about zone contact rate earlier, how those players tend to be streaky. MJ Melendez has the second lowest zone contact rate among qualifiers. Lowest is Ryan McMahon, then MJ Melendez, then Matt Olson, and then Nolan Gorman, who we were talking about earlier, is fourth for lowest zone contact rate among qualifiers. All right, let's slide over to Wilmer Flores. I keep waiting for Wilmer Flores to slow down. It's not happening. Two for four with his 21st home run. 
That is a career high. His previous high was actually 19 home runs last year. And in the second half, he's batting 302, 13 home runs, a 997 OPS, just a 10% strikeout rate. I noticed he's hitting more fly balls. He's pulling the ball more too. So we, we've seen that before. Guys that don't really hit the ball that hard, they can kind of maximize power just by pulling the ball in the air. And it seems like Wilmer Flores is... Uh, He's making a conscious effort to do that right now. He's 59% rostered, first base, second base, third base eligibility. Would you rather have Wilmer Flores or your boy, David Schneider? I think they're, you know, whatever. They both have multi-eligibility. What do you think? Well, I don't mean this to disparage Flores, but I think I think Schneider. I think Schneider, because Schneider does what you were talking about, pulling fly balls in the air well. He, he does that about as well as anybody it seems, and uh, has terrific on-base skills on top of it that Flores doesn't really have. So I'll go Schneider. All right, would you take Wilmer Flores over Luis Renjifo? He's the second most added third baseman on CBS. Yes, yes, I'd rather have Flores. Would you take Wilmer Flores over Jorge Polanco? That's a close one. I think I'd rather have Polanco slightly. Okay, how about Wilmer Flores versus DJ LeMahieu? LeMahieu all of a sudden has this power surge out of nowhere. I, I don't know that I buy it per se, but he's got one, two, three, four, six home runs over his 11 games for DJ LeMahieu. So he's, he's kind of hot right now. I hadn't noticed that. Though there are very few hits in between the home runs I'm yeah. seeing here pulling up the game log. Maybe that's why I didn't notice it. I'll take Flores. Okay. Yeah, I think I would too. Uh, Seiya Suzuki. The dude is this red hot. Feels like we've talked about him every night. Four for five with his 16th home run. He's homered in three of his past five games. He's up to a 273 batting average, 16 home runs, 807 OPS. I keep referencing this little mental break he was given in uh, mid-August. And ever since he's come back, he's been amazing. He's 71% rostered. I think yesterday we were talking... Suzuki versus Nolan Jones versus Jason Dominguez. And you had Nolan Jones at the top of that list. I, you know, I assume one day isn't really going to change much for you, but Suzuki- I mean, Suzuki was second on the list. Yeah. Nolan Jones, you know, he had a fine performance. Uh, his 12th steal, by the way, Nolan Jones, I was surprised he had that many, but yeah, no, Suzuki's Suzuki's been great. And obviously we've, we've, Liked all the red on his StatCast page. We've remarked on that. By the way, the new layout of the StatCast pages. Uh, don't love it. Not great, Bob. Don't love it. Not great, Bob. Yeah. No, um, I keep thinking I'm, I'm going to get used to it, but <laughs> I am not getting it. Like, it's just, it's not nearly as clean as it used to be. And it doesn't include max max exit velocity on the sliders now. So I have to scroll down to the middle of the page to find the, usually the, the, the one piece of information the the main, the number one thing I'm interested in looking up. Uh, so I don't know. Hopefully either I get used to it or they change it back. I would prefer the latter, but anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, we've liked all the red on say a Suzuki stack has page in the past and hopefully now he's making good on it. Did you give his number since August 1st? I have not. Seiya Suzuki since August 1st is batting 362 with seven home runs, 10 doubles, two triples. That's 
Awesome. Since August 1st, like I said. Yep. A few outfielders that are rostered in uh, more leagues than Seiya Suzuki. Esteri Ruiz, I realize it's a completely different skill set. And if you play in a categories league, maybe you take Ruiz over Seiya Suzuki. But his playing time has actually been cut down quite a bit for Ruiz. Like he's not playing every day anymore. Uh, Scott, would you make that swap? Ruiz for Seiya Suzuki. Uh, Estuary Ruiz, yeah. you said? Probably. I mean, obviously, the, the only reason to start Estuary Ruiz is is for the ginormous number of stolen bases he contributes, and he does little else. It's like a modern Billy Hamilton. Uh, so, you know, un- unless that's specifically the category you're looking to make up ground in, yeah, I'd rather have Suzuki. Estuary Ruiz has started just five of the past 12 games for the Oakland A's, so... Uh, yeah, not not looking too great for him right now. Mm, there was a few other names I wanted to... Joey Manessis, I think I would make that swap, right? Drop Manessis for Suzuki? Yes. TJ Friedel? Yes. I think so, too. And, yep, that's it. Uh, let's... What did I want to do after this? Let's uh, check in on some rookies here who had some big games. Christian Encarnacion Tran, 3 for 5 with his 6th home run. And in his last seven games, he's batting 423 with two homers. He's 63% rostered, first and third base eligible. His teammate, Noel V. Marte, went three for three with his first career home run. And he's played 17 games now with the Reds. He's batting 255, one homer, five steals. Pretty interesting. Hitting the ball really hard, 93.3 exit velocity, but a 61% ground ball rate. So that's what's yeah. kind of holding Noel V. Marte, uh, Noel v. Marte back right now. But. Any thoughts on these his, two? His launch angle is negative. Ugh. <laughs> so for all that hard contact he's making, and it's not just bad velocity, the max exit velocity is like Scott, you're lagging. You're lagging quite a bit again. So if you can hop out and, and hop back in, we'll get you squared away. All right, well, we'll just continue on here. Yeah, Noel V. Marte, he's hitting the ball really hard so far. I think in any leagues like a, a roto-sized league where you got the corner infield, the middle infield spot. Obviously, he's eligible at either one of those. Uh, hitting the ball really hard, as we mentioned. I, you know, And in that ballpark, taking advantage of that. Lots to like here with uh, Noel V. Marte and what he's done recently. Sedan Rafaela wanted to mention leading off for the Red Sox here on Tuesday night. It was against a right-handed pitcher. He had a big game, three for six, with two runs scored. Only his second start since being called up on August 28th. For the Red Sox, so uh, he's twenty percent rostered. He's widely available. I think Rafaela is still just for deeper five outfielder leagues for now, and until we start to see him play more consistently. I said this all along. I like the skill set. The fact that he's really fast, he plays good defense. That's something that should keep him on the field. I think he could hit for batting average as well. But the problem right now is that I just. Don't know if there's going to be enough playing time available for uh, Sedan Rafaela. Let's get Scott back in. Scott, right. you're here. I'm here. Gosh, what's going on, man? We were so good for so long. <laughs> uh, I, as in, well, not tonight, but yeah, we've been good for weeks and weeks. Weeks and After weeks. I made some uh, technological updates here in my grandparents' house. <laughs> not really my grandparents' house. That's just what people call it. That's right. Um uh, yeah, so had we moved on from Noel V. Marte? Yeah, that's where we left off. I, I said I still think he's just for 
Roto Leagues for now, I think 12-team Roto Leagues are fine, but anywhere with a middle infield or corner infield spot, I, I think that's where you should take advantage of Noel V. Marte. Yeah, I guess. I guess. Obviously, he's going to have to start elevating the ball more for him to to justify a lineup spot. But more than anything, I'm I'm encouraged for next year by what Marte's doing, by the, that how hard he's impacting the ball, the fact that he is running so much. I think these are all very good signs for him as a fantasy asset next year. Not as confident he's going to be useful this year, but obviously it depends on the depth of your league. I also brought up Sedan Rafaela. He led off for the Red Sox. He was facing a right-handed pitcher, so I thought that was pretty interesting. Three for six with two runs scored, uh, but only his second start since being called up on August 28th. Um, my stance hasn't changed. I think he's a talented player, Scott, but I, I just worry about the playing time with Rafaela. I do too. I mean, this was his first start in five games. So, And what's interesting is both of his starts have come at shortstop, which, I, I mean, I, I, the last couple of years, I primarily thought of him as a center fielder. He's supposed to be a plus-plus defender out there. The fact he's also capable of gr- playing shortstop is, you know, that, that's, that speaks to his talent as a fielder. But it's interesting they haven't tried him in center field yet. Yeah, that is Interesting. Let's talk about Connor Phillips' debut, the pitching prospect with the Reds. Didn't go very well against the Mariners. Four and two-thirds innings, five runs allowed, seven strikeouts, two homers allowed. Did have 12 swinging strikes on 95 pitches, eight hard hits allowed. Not great. There is a glimmer of hope here, though. He averaged 96.8 miles per hour on his fastball. That is awesome. That is elite for a starting pitcher. He also had uh, seven of his 12 swinging strikes came on the sweeper, so I don't know that he's going to matter this season, Scott, but he's kind of intriguing, I think, with a a fastball that hard and a sweeper that looks like it can get whiffs, so I I don't know that it's going to matter this season, but, you know, maybe for next year, Connor Phillips. Yeah, no, Phillips has talent, for sure. He could be a good bat misser, but he has trouble throwing strikes. He has trouble locating his pitches, which leads to a lot of walks, which we didn't really see in this start, but also leads to hard contact and home runs, which is especially bad for a pitcher in Cincinnati. We did see two of those home runs. We did see the average exit velocity in this game be 95 miles per hour off Connor Phillips. He threw only 60% of his pitches for strikes. So, even though it wasn't reflected in the walk total, I mean, not that two walks in four and two-thirds innings is such a great rate, uh, we also saw what's uh, why it seemed like Connor Phillips was rushed for this start, understandably, because the Reds had so many pitchers who are unable to pitch right now. Let's stick with the pitchers here, Scott, and talk about two that we saw a velocity dip here on Tuesday night. Tanner Bybee, uh, five innings, two runs, five walks to four strikeouts against the Minnesota Twins. Back-to-back starts facing the Twins, so I don't know that I put too much into this. It's kind of weird that Bybee's control has been as erratic as it has this I, year. I was going to make the same point, yeah. Yeah, I mean, 1.7 walks per nine at double A, two walks per nine at high A, and then this year he's up around 3.1 walks per nine. It's kind of weird. Uh, but the fastball velocity was down 1.9 miles per hour in this start. Any concern on Tanner Bybee? I mean, a little. If the if the downward trend on the fastball continues, uh, I believe it was down like one mile per hour in his last start. So it's been uh, it's been trending down. He may be wearing down a little bit here later in the season. But yeah, the walk issue. So 
that's reminiscent to me of Zach Gallen. Remember Zach Gallen had great control in the minors. He came up and he kind of struggled with walks, but more or less pitched well. And we've seen the control uh, come around for Gallen at the major league level the last couple of years, and it's turned him into a Cy Young contender. So I think, I think it's encouraging that Bybee's succeeding even without what was arguably his best attribute prior to the promotion. And and then hopefully with more exposure, he starts throwing strikes the way he's capable of. Mm -hmm. Clayton Kershaw, the velocity was also way down for him at the Marlins. Five innings, three runs, five walks to three strikeouts. This is uh, not the normal Clayton Kershaw that we're used to. His fastball was down 2.7 miles per hour. His everything was basically down over a mile and a half uh, on Tuesday. And, yeah, they, they revealed after the start that he's uh, pitching through this continued shoulder issue. Um, so, I don't know. I think this is probably just something, you know, we're going to have for the rest of the season, and it's going to affect, you know, the the production here for Clayton Kershaw. But it's not great. Mm-hmm. It's not great, yeah. Scott. Or Bob. Or Bob. Yeah, no, in five starts since returning, he has yet to go beyond five innings. And, yeah, the velocity keeps getting worse and worse. So, I would... I would be hard-pressed to start Clayton Kershaw at this point, I think. All right, let's talk about some news and notes. Shohei Otani was out again on Tuesday with that oblique injury. Apparently, he wanted to play, but the Angels are uh, being cautious with him at this point. Maybe he should be cautious, too. Trey Turner was placed on the paternity list exactly nine months after signing his massive contract. Coincidence, Scott? I think not. Well, people do worry about finances when it comes to family planning. And that is, yeah, no, I can, I can relate to that. Sure. A couple but, kiddos of my own. I know how these talks go. Remember a couple of years ago where all the Dodgers players went on the paternity list at the same time? It was crazy. A, a couple of years ago, you said? I think, I think it was last year, actually. No, it was, it was this April. That's where oh, the back yeah. to Bush comment came from. <laughs> right. Man, that was <laughs> wild stuff for it the was, Dodgers. It, yeah, yeah. Exactly the right amount of time after the the All-Star break as if they all had a baby packed or something. Yeah, I don't right, know. Right. Uh, speaking of the Dodgers, Max Muncy was out of the lineup Tuesday after tweaking his left shoulder on a swing Sunday. Shane Bieber is scheduled to face live hitters Thursday at high A. Tristan McKenzie completed a bullpen session at Progressive Field and has been cleared to face live hitting at high A on Friday. Terry Francona offered up September 20th as a tentative date, uh, target date for both Tristan McKenzie and Shane Bieber to return to the team. Hopefully. Jojo Romero was placed in the IL with left knee patellar tendonitis, which frankly came out of nowhere. And on Tuesday, Giovanni Gallegos got the eighth inning with a 9-3 to lead. He gave up a solo home run and a walk. Ryan Helsley would eventually pitch the ninth with a four-run lead. And my guess is Helsley will get the next save opportunity. Yeah, I agree. This was probably the Cardinals tipping their hand as far as that goes. In his previous outing, he, his fastball was down 1.4. So fresh off the IL with that forearm injury, the fastball was down 1.4. It was actually up 0.8, up from his season average in this outing against the Braves, which reassures me that, okay, he really is over this injury. Uh, 
you know, he, he originally had his, his, his original rehab assignment was interrupted by continued pain in his arm. So I wondered, eh, is there still something going on there? And I guess it's not completely ruled out, but I have more reason with the velocity being up in this outing to think, yeah, Helsley's probably fine. All right. Walker Bueller will make his next rehab start Friday at AAA. He threw two perfect innings in his rehab debut on Sunday. O'Neill Cruz is expected to restart his running progression this week. He was shut down on August 23rd due to soreness in his surgically repaired left ankle. Edward Cabrera is expected to start Wednesday against the Dodgers. And in five starts at AAA since getting sent back down, Edward Cabrera had a 2.22 ERA, a 113 whip over a strikeout per inning, still 3.8 walks per nine. He's 37% rostered. Any interest in re-adding Edward Cabrera? I mean, I like the upside, but he's another Charizard. He may be even, even an even truer Charizard than Mackenzie Gore, actually. Ash Ketchum just doesn't know what he's going to do. <laughs> uh, Marcus Stroman threw a successful bullpen session Monday. It was his first time throwing off a mound since he was diagnosed with a right rib cage cartilage fracture. Right rib cage cartilage fracture. Wow. That's a mouthful. Uh, in mid-August. Anthony Rizzo will be shut down for the rest of the season with that post-concussion syndrome. Edwin Diaz is scheduled to throw two bullpen sessions this week in front of the Mets major league coaching staff. He remains adamant that he wants to pitch at some point this season. Hunter Renfro was scratched with left hamstring tightness. Harrison Bader was added to the Reds lineup. Michael Brantley has sat two days in a row after starting four of his first five games uh, and Monday was against a lefty, but Tuesday was against a righty in Nathan Avaldi. So I don't know. It seems like the playing time could be sporadic for Michael Brantley and some of the other Astros over the uh, final month of the season. One prospect update, the Pirates first overall pick Paul Skeens was placed on the development list and will not pitch anymore this year. And uh, there is a pretty good chance that we'll see him in 2024. Like in the majors? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think there's a pretty good chance. Uh, The one Astros outfielder who I think we need to take note of is Chaz McCormick. So, was Chaz McCormick in the lineup today? Yes. I believe he was, but he has sat out three of the team's last seven games. Not great, Bob. No. No, it's not, but you know what will help? Back-to-back multi-hit games, so uh, he's really good. I, I feel like the Astros should probably not mess with McCormick's playing time because he's. I know they're like they're giving great. Mauricio Dubon a lot of playing time, and I know he had a two-homer game over the weekend. But come on, man, McCormick has proven his worth. Come on, Dusty. Yeah, yeah. Get with the program. Keep him in there. Just win a World Series or anything. <laughs> Let's take our final break. When we return, uh, we'll get to the rest of Tuesday's action here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. 
Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back. Let's talk about all those home runs, and we'll start with the Marlins. Jazz Chisholm went three for four with a sock and a shoe. His 15th home run, his 19th steal. He's batting 256 with a... 765 OPS. I did notice the sprint speed is down quite a bit this year. Makes sense, I think, given the uh, injuries that Jazz Chisholm has played with. Uh, I noticed his barrel rate is also down quite a bit. You have to think, again, these injuries have taken a toll. Uh, but he's yet to play more than 124 games. Kudos to you, Scott. I know you kind of pumped the brakes on Jazz Chisholm while everyone else was getting excited about him entering the season. I think until he proves he can play a full year, we kind of have to treat him not to the same extent as a Byron Buxton, but a similar player in that you have to expect he's going to miss time until he proves that he doesn't. You have a better idea what to expect when he's healthy, I think, relative to, to Byron Buxton, whose performance can sometimes be awful. I mean, with the sock and a shoe today here for Chisholm, he's... Five home runs away from 20, one steal away from 20. So he's an outside, outside shot of going 20-20 still. Not that that means what it used to mean. But it's it's it would be impressive given how much time he has missed. Let's talk about Josh Bell, who went one for four with his 20th home run. And in 30 games with the Marlins, he's hitting 271 with nine homers, a 12% barrel rate. Feels like we've talked about Josh Bell quite a bit. He's... Uh, 73% rostered. Should that number be higher, Scott? I guess, you know. But in points leagues, 10, 12 team points leagues, does Josh Bell need to be rostered in, in those formats? I don't think he needs to be rostered. And so, like, he may have, his, his roster rate may have kind of plateaued here in the 70s, which there aren't many players rostered in that range on CBS. There's a lot rostered from 80 to 100. And then there's a lot rostered like 60 and below, but between 60 and 80, it's, it's really, it's, 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 it's not a very deep group. And Josh Bell finds himself in that group. I, and I don't think he has room to break into the 80 plus because there are enough in those shallower leagues. There are enough first basemen to satisfy everybody. And he doesn't quite have the same upside as them. So it's probably fine. Bell's roster rate, but if you need help at first base, sure. Pick him up. I'll give you three names that are rostered in more leagues than Josh Bell. I would drop each of them for him. Joey Manessis, Ty France, and Andrew Vaughn. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, Vaughn just had a good game here Monday, but overall it's been another disappointing year for him. He went three for five with a home run Monday. Uh, but, he, it, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't on a good run before then. And kind of over him. GBH. Right. Uh, is anybody going to be talking up Andrew Vaughn as a breakout next year? Are we, are we ready to move on? 
I don't think so. I just struggle with these guys that are like top five picks in the MLB draft. I just feel like they always, until they show us that potential, there's still like a glimmer of hope. So I don't know. Sure. There will probably be some glimmer worth. (laughs) Yeah. I'll tell you what, he probably won't be drafted inside the top 150. I mean, probably get him as like a late round corner infield type for next season. He has a career 730 OPS. Yeah. Which is also exactly what his OPS was coming into Monday's game. So he's he's been very consistently blah. I think that's fair. Uh, that's Andrew Vaughn that we're talking about. Let's talk about Jake Berger, who went two for three with his thirty-first home run, and in his thirty games with the Marlins, he's batting three twenty-two with six homers, just a twenty-one percent strikeout rate. That was thirty-two percent with the White Sox. He's still hitting the ball hard. I think he's consciously trying to make more contact and. Maybe not hitting for as much power, uh, but Berger's 69% rostered. Would you take him over Wilmer Flores or Encarnacion Strand, who we spoke about earlier? They're all in the same range. I mean, Wilmer Flores and Berger probably do different things. Berger has the huge power. Uh, You know, it's nice that he's gotten that actual batting average up near the expected batting average. Still has a ways to go, actually, as far as... For, for all the strikeouts Berger has, his expected batting average is over 250. Just a testament to how hard he hits the ball. Um, yeah, I'll say, I'll say I'll rank Berger tops of that group, but it does depend a little on what your category needs are. In points leagues, Berger may slip behind Flores because of the, the strikeout discrepancy there. They're pretty close. Yep, and uh, just going to throw this out there. Even with Jake Berger playing well, I would take Royce Lewis very clearly. Or I would take Jorge Polanco, who has been great over the past couple of weeks. I would also take Brian Hayes over him because he's been mm. really, really good since returning. I'll take Berger over Hayes. Okay. But he has Hayes has been better lately. Let's talk about the New York Mets and all of their home runs. Brandon Nimmo went three for five with a double dong. He's now up to a career-high 22 home runs on the year. Francisco Lindor, two for five with his 26th homer. One of five players to go 25-25 this season, joining Ronald Acuna, Bobby Witt, Julio Rodriguez, and Kyle Tucker. Lindor is, uh, I don't know, he just feels undervalued over here, or I guess underappreciated might be a better word. He, he gets it done. Pete Alonso went one for four with his 42nd home run, and Francisco Alvarez went two for three with a sock and a shoe. I don't think mm-hmm. you should expect many steals. That's his first career steal, his 22nd home run of the year, his first home run since August 1st. 25 games in between home runs, where Alvarez hit 132 with a 395 OPS. Not great, Bob. That's exactly right. Anything to add on uh, Alvarez? He, he- Not really. I mean, look, I, I think he's a talented player. I think we're going to be drafting him ahead of Mitch Garver next year. But I'd rather have Mitch Garver right now. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd rather have M- MJ Melendez, too. Yeah, fair enough. Mm-hmm. All right, let's uh, talk about a few performances. Do they matter for fantasy? Might not, but... Let's get your thoughts. Reed Detmers turned in just his second quality start of the second half, and uh, he went six and two-thirds against the Orioles. Two runs allowed, five strikeouts for him. 
Notice his velocity was down quite a bit in this start as well. The other name here is Ken Waldachuk. Turned in just his third quality start of the season. He was facing the Blue Jays. He threw six shutout innings with three strikeouts, 13 swinging strikes on 90 pitches. And over Waldachuk's last six starts, he has a 313 ERA, a 136 whip, nearly a strikeout per inning. Uh, do either of these performances matter? Waldachuk and Reed Detmers. Well, in the Scott White Dynasty League, 2014 points league, I have been, I'm in the consolation bracket. And basically the, the way that, so I'm not competing for the championship. That's the championship bracket. The consolation bracket among the remaining 16 teams is to determine draft order in the minor league draft next year, where all the new draft picks are going to be. And, uh, it's pretty important because the draft order doesn't snake. It's the same every round, like a real life draft. And uh, Waldachuk has been surprisingly cromulent. He's got me competing. He's got me still in the running for the top pick in the draft next year. And this is the great thing about dynasty leagues is particularly if you have a setup like this, like I am going to be, I don't even need the top pick. I just want one of the top three picks next year so I can either get Paul Skeens or 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 Wyatt Langhorn. Langford. Langford. <laughs> Langmore. Wyatt Langmore was a character in Ozark, but it's Wyatt Langford. Um, or... Dylan Cruz. Dylan Cruz. <laughs> I was like, I only think Terry Cruz. <laughs> I got it. Okay. Dylan, yeah. Dylan Cruz, Wyatt Langford, Paul Skeens. One of those three. If I get a top three pick in the draft next year, I'll be as excited about that as if I'd won the championship. And, you know, I haven't been in the mix for the championship in a couple months. So that's one of the great things about Dynasty Leagues. Just a little, um, just to throw a word out for them. I forget what your actual question was. Do oh, e- do either Waldichuk. of Waldachuk or uh, Reed Detmers matter? I need to see more strikeouts from Waldachuk before I really have a lot of faith in him because he was a big strikeout guy in the minors, and that was kind of the only thing appealing about him. So I'm I I feel like he's on a knife's edge here, but I'm enjoying the surprising cromulence from him. And uh, the other pitcher was Reed Detmers. Reed Detmers. No, I don't think this is enough to win me back over to him. All right, three hitters. Do these performances matter? Bo Naylor, one for two with a walk, a sock, and a shoe. His eighth home run and second steal. He has started six of the past eight games for the Guardians. Nelson Velasquez went two for four with his 11th home run and in 22 games with the Royals, batting 254 with eight home runs and a 21% barrel rate. Yoan Moncada, two for three with his sixth home run and over his last 13 games, he is batting 415 with two homers, 90.7 average exit velocity. Do any of those names matter? Moncada, Nelson Velasquez, Bo Naylor. I mean, look, we know Bo Naylor has interesting upside as a, um, as a catcher who can steal bases and, and has had showed really good plate discipline in the minors too. So the fact he ha- he's as hot as he is right now, you, you wonder, is this the start? This is the start of the breakthrough for a talented player. And Bo Naylor, now to put numbers on it, his last 14 games, he's batting 351 with four homers and two steals. So, at least in two catcher leagues, I think Bo Naylor's worth our attention again. Uh, Velasquez and Moncada, 
Uh, yeah, I mean, really deep leagues, maybe they they're worth a look, but I I think I think most of us can do better. All right, let's wrap up with some pitching leftovers. Chris Bassett had one of his best starts of the season at the Oakland A's, a revenge game for Chris Bassett. Eight innings, one run, seven strikeouts with 18 swinging strikes on 97 pitches. Jesus Lazardo looks to be back on track, facing the Dodgers. Six innings, two runs, six strikeouts, 12 swinging strikes for him. Garrett Cole put together a solid start against the Tigers. Six innings, one run, seven strikeouts to zero walks. And Framber Valdez, a solid start at the Rangers. Seven innings, one run, uh, four strikeouts, four walks. Still gave up some hard contact. Kind of a mixed bag here for Framber Valdez. Anything to add on him, Garrett Cole, Jesus Lozardo, and Chris Bassett? I mean, Bassett, to give you some numbers on how he's performed recently, so this is back-to-back eight-inning outings for him. Last 10 starts, 283 ERA, 108 whip. 7.9K per nine. I would still say he's part of the glob, but he's, you know, a little bit, he's, he's got a little more of a track record there than a lot of the people in the glob. Uh, yeah, Lizardo looks like he's bounced back. Valdez, okay, so this is interesting for Valdez, and I, want, I meant to point this out the last time he started. So he is on a nice little run here of three consecutive quality starts, but still hasn't looked especially sharp. There've been some walks. There haven't been a lot of strikeouts. It really goes back to the cutter. So the cutter was getting a lot of whiffs for him earlier this year. And he, he's kind of lost it here. Um, it, uh, June 27th was the last time he prominently used the cutter prior to June or June 27th and prior Romber Valdez had a 2.49 ERA. Since that June 27th start when he last prominently featured the cutter, it's been a 4.52 ERA. So 2.49 with the cutter, 4.52 without the cutter. He threw the cutter 11% of the time in this one. Strangely, it was up five miles per hour. There may be some classification issues going on there, but the point is the cutter hasn't been what it was for Valdez earlier this season. And that seems like a problem. He's getting by without it, um, particularly recently. That ERA has obviously gone down a little to get to 452. But uh, in, in terms of scouting him for next year, I'd like to see that cutter make a return before the year's done. I do remember, Scott, that right around that time, Framber Valdez sprained his right ankle too. I think it was, yeah, it was late June, early July. He missed a start. And uh, I always just kind of speculated that maybe he hasn't been the same since hurting his ankle, you know, you know, pushing off the mound and all that. It's it, it seems like it would be a perfectly fine explanation for why he's kind of slowed down since then. But yeah, I, I have noticed some of those changes to the pitch mix as well. Nathan Evaldi made his return and he was uh, greeted rather rudely by the uh, Houston Astros. He had recorded just four outs. He gave up four runs. The velocity was down, fastball down 1.3 miles per hour, the cutter down 1.1 miles per hour. I don't very similar. Very similar to yeah. what the velocity was doing for Avaldi before landing on the IL. I don't know that I could have much confidence starting him over I feel like we need to see at least one or two good starts in a row before we can feel good about getting him in the lineup again. I agree. All right. Uh did want to quickly mention Michael Soroka made his return. To the the Braves did not pitch well, and then actually went on the IL after that start with numbness in his uh, fingers. So 
not great news there for uh, Michael Soroka. Some quick hitting leftovers. Giancarlo Stanton hit his 400th home run of his career. Matt Olson hit his league-leading 45th home run. Teoscar Hernandez is on a tear. He's got six homers in his past 10 games. And Xander Bogarts, four for four with three runs and an RBI. He has two four-hit games in his last three outings. And it's just been a, a pretty disappointing year for the Padres all around. But specifically for Bogarts, he had that cortisone shot in his wrist, I think, even before the season started. And yeah, it's weird because he got off to that great start the first couple of weeks. And then ever since then, not really, not not very productive for Xander Bogarts. And it's just mm-hmm. the first of an 11-year deal, too. It's just, what is that thing going to look like in five years from now? Gosh. I know someone had him as a preseason bust. And his name rhymes with Schmott Schmite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else did, but I did. <laughs> let's talk bullpen updates for the Marlins. Tanner Scott struck out two for his fifth save and is only 44% rostered if you do need saves. For the White Sox, Gregory Santos got the ninth inning with a one-run lead. He gave up two unearned runs, and he actually lost the game on a walk-off balk. Don't see that every day. For the Mariners, Andres Munoz got the ninth inning with the game tied. He gave up two hits and a run. Took his seventh loss, and look, he's got the stuff, but he he still has kind of been shaky since the trade deadline. So I don't know if, there, if there's anything left to add, but just an observation. No, I, guess. I mean, he's still probably one of the twenty-four best relievers, one of the twenty best relievers. So sure. I, I'm not sure you can upgrade from him, but it it has been less than dominant. That is fair. For the Red Sox, Kenley Jansen entered in the bottom of the 11th with a one-run lead. He gave up a three-run walk-off homer to Brandon Lau. For the Angels, Carlos Estevez got the ninth with a one-run lead. He gave up two runs and took his third-blown save in the bottom of the ninth in that game. Yanir Cano was unavailable for the Orioles. D.L. Hall got the ninth with a one-run lead. He gave up one run, so got the blown save. The Orioles eventually took the lead in the 10th. Shintaro Fujinami struck out two for his second save of the year. Also need to mention for the Rockies, a gentleman named uh, Tyler Kinley picked up the save for them, and he has the past two saves for the Rockies. So, uh, man, it would would have to be an NL-only league or a really deeper mixed roto league, but if you are very desperate for saves... Tyler Kinley looks like he might be stepping in for the Rockies. To stream or not to stream, let's start with uh, Wednesday. And yesterday we said Hyunjin Ryu at the A's. Jordan Wicks against the Giants. And I think that was it. I think that was it. Yep. Matt Manning, a distant third choice at the Yankees. All right. On... Thursday, I didn't write these in, but uh, I'll read them off to you. We've got Zach Littell against the Mariners. Ugh. Well, Javier Assad against the D-backs, that's, that's probably okay. Griffin yeah. Canning against the Guardians, that might be yeah. all right. Yeah. I would rank yeah. them Assad, Canning, and Zach Littell in that order. Sure, I can go along with that. All right, there you go. I'm, I'm sorry for the many times I was distracted this podcast, Frank. I didn't hear what you were saying. I yeah, feel like what's going on. I feel like it was more than usual. 
And there were good reasons usually. I was either <laughs> lost my train of thought going off on my own tangent or I was researching something else. But I'm, I'm sure it was disorienting for the listener. So I apologize to everybody. I am not yet even 40 years old. <laughs> you got to stop reading those YouTube comments, man. They're uh, distracting you. Scott. Well, sometimes they're very helpful. They got they went they got us out. You know, they got us on the right path with Jose, Jose Quintana. So Fair I think I think that was a worthy that was a worthy derailment. But anywho, yeah, I apologize. And I, I'll, I'll be better tomorrow. I, would I like may to- not be on tomorrow, and that's why it'll be better. But <laughs> yeah, I'll think, do better Thursday. I think the Welsh is going to be here. I would like to apologize to the the YouTube chat too because. Those guys are here, guys and girls here every night, hanging out, chatting away, having fun. So we do appreciate you being here. So thanks for the help. We do appreciate it. We're going to wrap there for Scott. I am Frank. Thanks as always for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. And we will be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.